0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at the 19th verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart is, there for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, How great is the darkness. You cannot serve two masters. For either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, do not be anxious. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Lord Christ let us pray father we give you thanks for your word we thank you that you inspired Matthew in the recording of these words of Jesus and we believe that not only had power for Matthew's day but oh father in this anxious world these words have power for us today if we will hear them so we pray father send your holy spirit to open this word to us now perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to be less anxious. And I'm not just talking about November the 8th. I'm so inspired by November the 8th to be a new member of this country. In fact, in all seriousness, I'm glad that the immigration was solved before the election because, although you think that's kind of backwards, isn't it? But it means that when this Tuesday comes, regardless of the outcome, I'm fully in it with you. Now, I will not have voted, so you can't blame me, but I'm fully in it with you. I want to be less anxious. I'm not talking about anxiety in a clinical sense. I'm talking about anxiety in the sense of a low grade, consistent sense of anxiety that seems to always be around the edges of our lives and at certain points really flares up right in the center of our lives. There's all kinds of anxiety causing anxiety. Moments in our lives. Maybe in your lives, your anxiety is rooted in health issues, maybe in relationship issues, maybe in financial issues. But today in our text, I'll tell you, Jesus has an amazing, incredible word for anxious people. He has an incredible word about anxiety. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. And then in verse 31, again, Do not be anxious, but I want to say, Jesus, I'm encouraged by the command, but how? And thankfully, Jesus doesn't ever give us something we're called to and doesn't give us the power and the help and the aid to make it happen in our lives. In this text today, Jesus doesn't just say, don't be anxious. In fact, he opens up for us the root, the cause, the diagnosis of our anxiety, and then he gives us a cure. And that's really gonna be two weeks. This week we're looking at the diagnosis. Verses 19 to 24. These are Jesus' words on why you and I are anxious. This is the diagnosis. And then verses 25 to the end of the chapter is the cure. And in verse 25 we find that wonderful phrase, therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life. And if you heard me say before, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you've gotta ask, what is the therefore Therefore, And it's linking these two pieces of Matthew 6, 19 to 34. The therefore is linking the diagnosis with the cure. Jesus has to begin by telling us why we're anxious, and then maybe we'll be ready to hear his cure. So for today, let's sit in the doctor's office together, the great physician's office together, and have Jesus speak over our lives and say, here's the diagnosis, here's why you're anxious. And what does he say? What's the diagnosis? What's the root cause of our anxiety? Well, to me, he'll say, Paul, here's why you're anxious, Paul, because you're a fool. I mean, he says it lovingly, but it's true. You're anxious, Paul, because you're a fool. You see, I am categorically, in my anxiety, often a fool because, as our text will tell us, though I know where I can invest securely, I often invest insecurely, though I know who alone I can trust, I often place my trust elsewhere. Though I know where I can invest securely, I invest insecurely, and though I know in whom I can trust, I put my trust often elsewhere, and that's the definition of foolishness. You know better, Paul, you know better. Now before I was a Christian, I was anxious, But I wasn't a fool then, I was ignorant. But now that I know the Lord, I've moved from ignorance into foolhardiness because now I do know better. The gospel has shown me and has shown you if you're walking with Jesus, has shown you where you can invest securely and yet why do we continue to invest insecurely? He has shown us in whom we can trust and yet why do we continue to listen to those siren songs and put our trust elsewhere. I'm an anxious fool, Jesus is telling me, because as our text puts it, I'm treasuring what cannot endure and I'm trusting in what cannot provide. That's the diagnosis of my anxiety. So let's look at that quickly. Two parts, I'm treasuring what cannot endure, and I'm trusting what cannot provide. I'm treasuring what cannot endure. Look at verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not saying that treasures are the problem. Treasures aren't bad. As James 1 says, every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Treasures aren't bad. And Jesus also is not saying that treasuring is bad. No, treasuring itself is not bad. We're meant to treasure, we're wired to treasure. The act of treasuring is discernment, saying this is valuable, this is worthwhile to focus on. Treasuring and treasures are not the problem here. The problem is what we treasure. That's the problem. And the interesting thing is that where our treasure is, Jesus says in verse 21, we find our heart. In other words, you find the location of your treasure and you will get a barometer reading on your heart. Jesus is actually being incredibly practical here. Think of Jesus in this moment as uh, a practical investment advisor. He's coming to us as human beings and saying, Let's be clear. Treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth, here's how insecure, here's how they're not gonna endure. Moth, rust, thieves. And in this, Jesus is really covering the whole gamut of practically why we can't treasure these things. Moth represents nature's decay. Nature just has a way of slowly eroding and decomposing everything we see. Rust implies times decay. The clock just keeps ticking and it begins to decay more and more. And finally, thieves represent human agency that decays. There's people around us that do things that will end up making all of our earthly treasures Insecure. It's a very practical word. This is not going to endure. But in comparison, the Bible invites us to recognize that treasures in heaven will endure, that they are secure. And yes, there really are treasures we can lay up in heaven. One of the challenges when I first became a Christian is that when I heard the gospel of grace, I heard it in such a way that was half true. The gospel of grace told me, rightly so, that there's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation. And that part's absolutely true. There's nothing we can ever do. Nothing we ever do can make God love you. Nothing that we ever do can make us more suitable for heaven. Nothing we can do ever gets God's attention and says, wow, now this is a superstar over here. They get to go to heaven. None of those things are going to get us there. Our resumes do not get us into heaven. I heard that. But what I didn't hear, though, was that I was still called to a life of good works. I said, hey, this is the best news I've ever heard. I can't do anything to earn my salvation and therefore I guess I don't have to do anything in this life. Lay back, Jesus take the wheel. And yet, in doing so I didn't realize that no, there is a calling on our lives within grace. Nothing we can do will ever earn God's attention or favor, but we are called now to live out of grace. We're called to live with good works. As, as Ephesians chapter two says, we are his workmanship, which is one of my favorite verses. We are God's workmanship created for good works. Do you know that workmanship, that word in Ephesians two is the word poema. And yes, if you heard it, it's the word poem. You and I are God's poem. God's masterpiece, God's work of art. Not because we're so brilliant, but because God is so brilliant, and he's taken us and is forming us into his living masterpieces in this world, created for good works. And so as I received this gospel of grace, part of what happened in my heart is I didn't realize, no, there really is things that will endure in, in the future. Not treasures on earth, but any way that we live our lives that give glory to God, Anything we do, a kind word, an act of grace, generous living, a testimony to Christ, forgiving enemies, all these ways that we live in ways that give glory to God, those will endure. Those will go before us. As Revelation says, their deeds go before them. Not deeds that earn their way into heaven, but deeds that will echo throughout eternity because God will get the glory for the way he's worked in your life and my life all through eternity. Do you wanna find out what will endure forever? I mean, think about that. What in your life now will endure forever? Where can you invest securely forever? As we'll find out next week, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what will endure. Jesus is telling me, be practical, Paul. This stuff on earth will not endure, but the treasures in heaven will endure. I'm anxious because I'm treasuring what cannot endure. And I'm anxious because I'm trusting in what cannot provide. Verses 22 to 24, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now your Bibles may say you cannot serve God and money, and that's a pretty good translation because money usually is our mammon. But mammon is the actual word in the Greek New Testament and mammon is a specific word that has an Aramaic root to it, Ammon, Mammon, amon, means that in which I put my trust. Mammon is that in which I put my trust. You cannot serve God and something else in which you put your trust. You see, Whatever we put our trust in becomes God like for us, doesn't it? I mean, why do we call it the Almighty Dollar? The Almighty Dollar. We take our mammon and turn it into a God. And note that Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. He doesn't say you should not, he doesn't say it's not a good idea, he says it's impossible. Because once you've moved your allegiance from trusting the Lord to trusting something else, your allegiance has shifted. You've moved. It's the reason my friends do not believe me that I can cheer for the Ottawa Senators and for the Dallas Stars. I've been unfriended by so many people on Facebook. And you know at the end of the day, they're probably right. You can't cheer for two teams, right? You can't. You cannot serve God and serve mammon. Do you have any mammon in your life? I, I know the answer, by the way, because I, I have mammon in my life. We all, the human be- condition is to have mammon creep in. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, Daryl Johnson, gave us a list of mammon detectors. We sort of like do a mammon audit on a regular basis. Here's five questions. I'm gonna post them on a blog later this week so you don't have to write them down. Just let them soak over here. Here's five mammon detectors. Number one, what makes me feel most secure? Number two, what do I most delight in? Number three, what do I fear the most? Number four, what do I resist in scripture? And number five, what if God took it away would make me walk away from him? Now we could probably stop right now and just have pastoral care for the congregation for the next couple of hours as we think through these mammoth detectors. Note what happens to us when we serve mammon, when we put our trust in anything other than God himself? Well, we become less human. You see, anything less than God, it's, this is a great compliment, by the way, anything less than God is beneath your service. Anything less than God is beneath your trust. You are so fearfully and wonderfully made You are such a creature of glory, yes, lost in our sin, but created for glory, you are that kind of creature that only God alone is worthy of your trust and your worship. Which is why addiction in this world is so horrible. Because you're watching a creature destined and created for glory to be in bondage to a base, thing. You think of the character from the Lord of the Rings, Gollum. I love these words that Gandalf says of Gollum, and I know that for those who are purists, these words are from the movie, not from the book. I know for purists it's like I'm going to read from the Gospel of Thomas now, but let me just say this from the movie. Gandalf says of Gollum, this creature that is addicted to this ring of power, he says of Gollum, he says, and now the ring has drawn Gollum here. He will never be rid of his need for it. He hates and loves the ring as he hates and loves himself. Smeagol's life is a sad story. Yes, Smeagol, he once was called before the ring found him before it drove him mad. This is the picture of a person in bondage to mammon. But also note what happens to the mammon that we put our trust in. Whatever that thing is, whoever that person is in your life that we put this trust on, whatever we turn into mammon for us, here's what happens to the mammon. It fails us. It fails us again and again because we're asking it to do something for us that it cannot do. It cannot be God for us, it cannot provide, it cannot ultimately be trustworthy. Here is the words that you'll hear from a mammon-serving person in reference to their mammon that has failed them eventually. These are their words. This stupid investment. This stupid job. This stupid cottage. This stupid friend. This stupid spouse. This stupid child. You see what we do to the things we turn into mammon? They cannot provide. So what do we do when we detect mammon? We bring it to the cross. We repent and we ask for new life. This is the Christian life of confession and new life. Just as we saw in the waters of baptism now, Two human lives, having sins washed from them, so we are daily washed of our mammon habits as we bring it to the Lord. You, you know, the whole Bible is really one big story where God is asking one question of us every page of Scripture, and the question at every page of Scripture is God saying, "Will you trust me?" Will you trust me? Jesus says, don't be anxious. Next week, we're going to look at the cure. But for now, meditate on the diagnosis. We are anxious because we are trusting in what cannot endure. We are anxious because we are trusting in what cannot provide. But we know what to treasure and we know who to trust. So let's stop being foolish and repent again today. You know, there's a great way that we begin the cure even now. You don't have to wait till next week to begin the cure. There's a great way to begin the cure. You know, during a service of worship, some people wonder, why do we have this offering moment? Now you knew I was gonna get there, didn't you? Why do we have this offering moment? We pass the plates and it's meant to be an act of worship. It really is. That's the whole reason we include it. Because rightly so, Mammon is so often our money. And as we place in the context of a service of worship, our Mammon, our money in that plate, what we are saying to the Lord is in worship, "This is not my God. This is not my treasure. This is not in whom I trust. You, O oh God, are my treasure, you, O oh God." are the one I trust. I want to be less anxious. I wanna treasure things in heaven. I wanna trust my Father. Jesus says don't be anxious. He says come to the table. Come and be reminded now of the treasure that endures. Come and be reminded now of your Father who is trustworthy. And let's stop being anxious. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.